Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Those are words of greeting from the beginning of Pastor Jaden's sermon that she was to be preaching today. But she's home sick. Everybody? Hi, Jaden. One, two, three. Hi, Jaden. She said she'd be online. She'd already put good work into this message, and so I'm going to do something a little different and share her message in full with you this morning. So here we go. We're continuing in our Galatians series today, looking at the passage Galatians 4, 1 to 11. I'll start by reading the passage. Follow with me. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I would love to give you a Bible. Uh, you can also get a version Bible app on your phone and have it right there. So that's another option. Reading from the NIV. What I am saying, and the writer is the Apostle Paul who wrote probably about half of the New Testament. Apostle just means sent one, and God had sent him as a missionary. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, or to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent his uh, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Quite a statement there. And if you've been tracking with us, you know, the issue here in this letter is that the Judaizers, as they were called, they were people who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and his work on the cross, but they still felt like they needed to add their Jewish rituals so that they could really be saved. Adding works to the gospel of grace was what they were trying to convince the Galatians of. And Paul had taught them, this message comes, this life, this eternal gift of life comes by grace alone, faith in Christ alone. And they were messing with the Galatian believers whom Paul loved so much. 
Today, we're focusing our study on adoption and what that means for us today. And again, Jaden speaking. I always love a good story. So I thought I would start with one this morning. My aunt on my dad's side is adopted. My grandma always throughout growing up would tell her that she loved all her three children the same, but that my aunt Casey was the one who she would tell, we chose you. I always thought that was so beautiful that she would be reminded of that. So I asked my dad how he would treat her growing up. I can best sum up what he said through this story. I need to set the scene. My grandma would wash hair, the kids' hair, in the sink on the same day. And this day was hair washing day. My dad was preparing for his turn when my aunt, his sister, walked into the kitchen. On the counter was a glass full of nice colored liquid. My aunt looked at my dad and asked, Whose Kool-Aid is that? To which my dad, knowing full well that on hair washing day it was not Kool-Aid, said to her, Not mine. And as she took an unfortunate sip of shampoo, my dad stood by his word, telling everyone who questions him that he didn't lie. It wasn't his Kool-Aid. Adopted or not, Cassie was his sister, end of story. And he treated her as such. These verses that we're walking through today are going to center on the idea of adoption and what that looks like for those who choose to live a life rooted in Jesus and his teachings. To start, I want to talk about what Paul was saying to the believers in Galatia at that time. The Bible Project gives this overview for the book of Galatians. The church in Galatia was divided over issues of Torah observance. Many leaders were requiring non-Jewish Christians to live by Jewish laws, missing the point of the gospel message. Jesus fulfilled the law and reconciled all who believe in him. When people trust in Jesus as the Messiah, his life, death, and resurrection become theirs. They are new creations, free from the laws and the old covenant. The book of Galatians reminds Jesus' followers to embrace the gospel message of the crucified Messiah that justifies all people through faith and empowers them to live like Jesus did. It's a good statement. The Christ followers in Galatia spread throughout the region were so focused on the law that they were missing Jesus. And Paul wanted them to, to hear and receive the simple and grace-filled message of the gospel. Paul also wanted them to see the gospel through describing the beautiful concept of adoption. In today's passage, Paul reminds the church, and when we say church, many of you know we're not talking about an institution or a, a denomination. Um, biblically, biblically it's, it's, it's people. The church is a body of people who have come to the place of trusting in Jesus Christ with their life, with their eternity. 
right? Paul reminds the church in Galatia and us that Christ redeemed all of us as his children through faith in Christ alone. That's so freeing. I don't want to sum up the morning this early, but this is so very important. The absolute importance of the gospel is at the heart of the church's mission in the world, and Christians are to passionately share this secure type of love so that everybody gets the message. The point is still justification, which simply means to be, uh, to be put in right standing with, to be put in right relationship with. And we are put in right relationship with God, our creator, through what Christ did on the cross. The penalty for sin that separates us has been paid. And so we are justified, made right, standing before God in his righteousness, I heard one Bible college prof one time say, very simplistically, justified is, I stand before a holy God with Christ's righteousness covering me because I've trusted in him. And I stand before him just as if I never sinned. The point is still justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But the reality is so beautiful that as we come to understand the doctrine of adoption, we learn what it means to no longer be a slave, but to be a son or a daughter. The doctrine of of adoption, Jaden points out, rightly so, the doctrine of, of adoption is one of the most precious of all Christian doctrines. As my grandma, I need not say it, Jaden's grandma, would tell my aunt, he chose us so that he could adopt us. And that essentially is what adoption is. It's when you choose someone to be your child. That doesn't happen in birth. You just get who shows up. Jaden's words. You didn't make a choice. And it it could be that as some of you enter into the teen years with your kids, you may want to reconsider the option of choosing, maybe one with a little less sass. Can you hear Jaden saying that? Yeah. You've passed her Jaden's word. Students, she's kidding. She loves you. She really does. She really does. Love you, students. But adoption is where you choose a son or a daughter that comes from another family, another family line, and bring them into your family legally, fully. Some of you have been adopted. And the heartbreak in some of the stories is certainly there. But the choosing... As Jaden is pointing out, is a beautiful thing. Some of you have adopted children. It's just so powerful. 
And I can't, I've not, I've not walked that path, so I can't imagine the, the challenges that no doubt are there as well. But what a beautiful picture of being embraced into God's family, chosen by a holy God. That welcome into another family is what we received from God. We were chosen by God out of a world of sinners to become his own children. I want to go back to the beginning of the passage where Paul talks about heirs. Paul starts by giving us an illustration of what this process looks like. A child may be an heir, which means a person who is legally entitled to the property or rank of another in their death, or a person inheriting or continuing the legacy of a predecessor. And while they may be an heir, they still don't differ at all from a slave. And, and, and again, back in that culture, we don't have time to get into it, but uh, slavery is different than our uh, understanding of North American slavery in the last 200 years. It was not based on race, uh, and uh, there's just a, another discussion there. But um, e even though they're the owner of everything, because as a child, they're under guardians and managers until the date set by the father when they can step into their inheritance. Now, in the ancient world, the process of growing up was much more dramatically identified. In the culture in which we live, we don't even know what growing up means sometimes. We've got 30-year-olds who haven't grown up. Statistically, we're seeing what's called extended adolescence happening. But we've also got 10-year-olds that have been overexposed to things in the world, and their thinking is, is adult-like in some ways. We have obliterated those very defining moments in human growth and created a kind of culture between childhood and adulthood, and we call it adolescence. It's a culture of irresponsibility, largely. But in the ancient world, you went from being a child to being an adult. You, you didn't have this middle ground. In the Jewish world, a boy on his 13th birthday was set to come to his first Sabbath subsequent to that birthday, and his father would take him to the synagogue, and he would be delivered to the synagogue, presented to the rabbi, and be told that he is now bar mitzvah, uh, matured. Uh, he, he is now passed out of his father's hands and is the responsibility and is responsible to God for his adherence to the law. It was, a, it was a clear dividing line in life. And people at that age would then contemplate marriage and, and, and be treated as an adult. And so in these verses, Paul is saying the same to us, that there was a time where we were accountable to the law. Verse 3, so also, when we were under age, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world, as the New Living Translation puts it. Uh, Pastor Joel talked on this last week, as Pastor Brennan also did when he preached, that the law was this idea of faith needing deeds and works. You needed to do good things, to be a good person. And doing good things isn't wrong, obviously. God wants us to do good things and to, to be compassionate and loving people. And he has a place, of course, for good works. But we must not base our relationship to God on this. Since we are now under grace, 
He does not deal with us on the principle of earning and deserving. Jaden points out here, it's, she says, it's, it's hard for some to shake this kind of thinking sometimes. We see it so easily accepted by the culture through things like the idea of karma or uh, what goes around comes around or the misuse of the golden rule. When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, we will forever fall short and never measure up. We need to remember that we're saved through grace alone. This isn't in the notes, but I want you to ponder that just for a moment. Seriously. What does that mean for you? That you are saved, that you are eternally rescued, eternally brought into God's family, starting the moment you accepted Christ for all eternity, by grace alone. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. She continues. But when, and here's the turning point, Galatians 4.4, 4, but when, that was, our, that was our past, before we knew grace, legalism, sin, bondage, darkness, Here's the turning point, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under, under the law, born as a Jew, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is a big deal. And I agree with Jaden, it's a big deal. The law was around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But God's timing was perfect. God is patient. When Christ finally came, with him came freedom from the law and from being tied to deeds and the pressure of trying to be good enough. Romans 8, 3 to 4. Same author, different letter. Paul writes, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's some rich, meaningful words. So what... what what could the law not do? The law couldn't save. The law could not bring forgiveness. The law couldn't remove the sentence of death and hell that the New Testament talks about. It's serious stuff. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could do all the things that the law could not do. Jesus not only came to fulfill what the law could not, but also brought us adoption into the family of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the privilege to become children of God. And we are told 
of our adoption to Christ's family many more times in the Bible. 1 John 3, 1-2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Don't you love that? I love that word. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that, it, that, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but, what we, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Ah, do you feel the lift of those words? I hope you do. I love that passage. And then back to Romans 8, verses 14 to 17 speaks powerfully to this truth. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received, as in when you trusted Christ, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes to dwell within those who trust in Him and surrender their lives to Him. And that's what's being talked about here. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Doesn't have to be any doubt. No need for doubt. And then the, the, the passage continues. Now, if we are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Adopted children do not infer that they are the children of their family by checking out the adoption papers. A spirit pervades our relationship that bears witness to this reality. And just like the other children in the family, they all cry, Dad! This is what is so amazing. God gave us both legal standing as his children and the very spirit of his son so that we might ourselves uh, find ourselves saying from a heart of deep conviction, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic term that is a term of endearment and intimacy, child to parent. You see, adoption in God's mind was not Plan B. He chose us, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. Let's be honest. God did not find us like a cute, tiny, newborn baby bundled on the front step. He found us broken, sinful, rebellious, not attractive. And what's worse... God was angry because he hates the sin and rebellion in our lives, but God still pursued us for adoption. He still reminds us, I chose you. And just maybe some of you really need that reminder from God today. And if you do, I hope you let it settle deeply in your heart, mind, and spirit. If you've trusted Christ, He chose you.
for eternity, for relationship, based on his grace. It's a powerful thing. If you're living under the bondage of performance, I want you to know today that there is so much more for you. You are being called to be a son or a daughter. Jesus is looking at you and telling you that you are not here by chance, but he has chosen you specifically. Scripture says that you became a joint heir, a co-heir with Christ. In other words, receiving all that God possesses through your connection to Jesus Christ. There is no earthly inheritance that can compare with what we inherit from God. The final verses of this passage in Galatians say, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul pointed out the choice the Galatians had and that that we have. We can choose to live free in relationship with God as our loving Father based on what Jesus has done, or... We can work hard at trying to please God by our best efforts or by keeping the rules, living in bondage as as slaves to legalism and and, and not adopted children. It's not really a choice, is it? Living the latter makes the whole gospel in vain, which is what Paul says in the last sentence of this passage. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He, he, He so wants them to make the right choice. Our natural tendency is to rely on our own strength rather than to trust God. It's strange, but somehow we feel safer trying to earn the love of Christ rather than accept it as the true gift it is. But the truth is that we cannot measure up to the standard of God's perfection. Romans 3, 21 and 24. 21 to 24. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or God's glorious ideal, is another way, another version puts it. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Again, what a rich passage that Jaden has chosen. Uh, some of these passages you can reflect on further. That's Romans 3, 21 to 24. Our adoption by God has made us children of a loving father, and the love a parent has for a child is, er- is not earned, but given unconditionally. That love is being extended to you today. Maybe you've not opened your heart to receive that love. The simple question today is, will you? If you already know Christ, then you can just bask in that and you can just rejoice in that. You can think about that and give thanks for that. But if you don't, if you've never come to the place of trusting Christ as the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sin, today may be your day when you know what it means to be adopted eternally into the family of God by the grace of Jesus. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and pray. It's not about these words. God knows your heart. But you can say, God, I, 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 I see how much you love me. Father, you sent your son. Jesus, you came voluntarily to be the sacrifice for my sin that needed to be paid because sin is so terrible. It required the penalty of death. And Jesus, you took that upon yourself by going to the cross. Thank you 
for that gift. Thank you for the sacrifice of your life. Thank you for the fact that God uh, raised you from the dead to prove his power over sin and death in my life and his power to give me eternity with you that I could never earn on my own. God, I want to be adopted into your family now by faith. I trust you, Jesus, as the forgiver of my sin, the leader of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.